Sefer Tzephaniah. Tzephaniah, the ninth book of Sefer Tzephaniah, opens up and tells us when exactly Tzephaniah was a Navi. And he was a Navi in the days of Yoshiyahu ben Amon in Melchizedek. Who is Yoshiyahu ben Amon? We know Yoshiyahu is the last great king that the kingdom of Yehuda had. He was the last hope, so to say, for the kingdom of Yehuda. He was the great grandson of Hizkiyahu HaMelech, another great Sadiq. However, Hizkiyahu's son and grandson, Menashe and Ammon, were the Shayim. So thus, finally, Yoshiyahu sort of returned to the ways of his great-grandfather, Hizkiyahu HaMelech, as was one of the greatest kings in the Jewish history. We know Tzephaniah, as well, seems to have a direct relationship to Hizkiyahu HaMelech. The Navi tells us, However, it's important to note, it does not specifically say this Chizkiyahu is the same Chizkiyah HaMelech, the king. It just says his name, Chizkiyah. This leads some Rishonim, chiefly among them the Bar Benel, that Adak is not sure about this, to say that this is not Chizkiyahu HaMelech. This is a different Chizkiyah who was a great man too, but not the king. However, Ibn Ezra, and seemingly from the plain meaning of the text, it is mentioning Chizkiah because he is Chizkiah HaMelech. Of course, he would be one generation often from Yoshiyah who lived at the same time as him. However, that's very possible in four generations for a generation to be off. There's many cases like that even today where one generation can be off. It, we're talking about a span of 100 years over here. To put Sefaniah in a time frame, in the Hakdamatu Mishneh Torah, the Rambam writes that he was the student of Havakuk, and the teacher of Yirmiyahu HaMelech, to put him in the time frame of other prophets, we know Yoshiyahu HaMelech, when exactly he was king, he was king for 31 years, from 54 years before the Hurban Habayit, until about 23 years before Hurban Habayit. The span of 30 years is when Sefaniah operated, as the Pasuk tells us. What is the topic of the book of Sefaniah? Almost exclusively, Tzephaniah speaks about Yom Hashem, the day of judgment, this day that will come and everybody will be judged, Jewish people, non-Jewish people, and everyone is going to be brought to retribution on this day. And Tzephaniah, like many of the other prophets in Sefer Treasure, uses powerful imagery to portray that destruction. Finally, at the end of Pedagimel, he has a prophecy about Bnei Israel doing Shuva, but the vast majority of the book, if it's three Pedakim, is devoted towards that day of destruction. It's just interesting to know in Sefer Sefaniah, the Navi uses Yehuda and Israel and the rest of the nations together. In that, while he does have specific nivlot for certain nations, it seems to be, especially in Pedak Aleph, we'll see this a lot, he counts everyone together. This Yom Hashem is sort of non-discriminate. It's not only going to come on some nations, not on other nations. It's coming on everyone. Everyone's in the same boat over here. Yom Hashem appears in several other Nidhi'im's works. And really, some of, the, some of the Yom Hashem seems to be contradictory. Sometimes it's good for Israel. Sometimes it's bad for Israel. Sometimes it's bad for everyone. Sometimes it's okay for the good people. Sometimes it's okay for all of Israel. And really, it's a day that seems to take on multiple meanings of Tanakh. And it's very well possible that Yom Hashem simply means a day of justice. And that can mean a lot of things. There can be multiple days of justice in the world. Some can be talking about Yom HaMashiach, as it often is in other books. However, in Sefaniah, as we'll see, it doesn't seem to be talking about Yom HaMashiach. It seems to be talking about a day in the times of Sefaniah, at least 
around his time, as we see, he'll talk about the destruction of certain cities that we know were destroyed, notably Nineveh, as we know from the Sefer Nahum, who dealt extensively with Nineveh. Finally, one last thing to understand properly, to Fanyan historical context that we have to examine, is the kingdom of Yoshiahu HaMelech. As we mentioned, Yoshiahu was a great king, a great tzaddik. However, his kingdom can be distinctively broken down into four different parts. The first eight years of Yoshiahu's Amalekh kingdom, he was extremely young. He became king at eight years old. And those, those first eight years are before Yoshiahu really started to pure out the land, before you could say he really had much power as a king as he was very little. The next four years, so from the eighth till twelfth years of his reign, is when the Pasuk tells us he began to search out Hashem. In we see that he begins on the path, the Pasuk tells us, of David, his forefather. The third part of his reign, from the 12th to 18th year of his reign, is when he began to pure out Yehudan, Yerushalayim, when he began to remove all the idol worships that were there, when he really began to make the nation follow the word of Hashem. Finally, from then until the end of his reign, is when, with the famous story of finding the Sefer Torah in the Beit HaMikdash, as well as the story of the great Pesach, Pesach Yoshiahu, and really from that time until the end of his reign, was a time of great spiritual rejuvenation, a time when Yoshiahu led his whole nation entirely to do good, to follow the path of Hashem. As we know, unfortunately, Yoshiahu's life was killed in battle, and he did not ultimately lead the nation to be saved from its pending destruction. Understanding Yoshiahu's reign is extremely important for us just to know when exactly we're talking about. As we mentioned before, the entire book of Sifanya is really rallying against everyone in the world. Thus it would seem to be this is definitely before Yoshiahu, the 18th year, the Pesach Yoshiahu, when he began to bring all of B'nai Israel back to Hashem, because the words here in several Pesukim imply that there's still Avodah Zarah going on, that there's still really difficult things going on that Yoshiahu didn't seem to have let happen. Thus, it was definitely seemed to be before the end of his reign. Sefer Tzifonia as well is broken down into several different Nivuah and several Parashah. So each Parashah, of course, would have to be examined about the Pesukim within it, what exactly it would seem to be. About the first Nivuah, there is a pasuk where he calls out against the leaders of the nation and doesn't mention Yoshiahu. It is possible that the reason why he doesn't mention Yoshiahu is because this is still very early on in his reign before he really had much power, and thus he wouldn't be referring to Yoshiahu as the leader of the nation, rather to the Kohanim and the Zikinim, as we'll see. Of course, it's also possible that since Yoshiahu himself is not doing anything wrong, we could assume even when he was little, and even before he began to lead the nation back on a path of tshuva, he was still a good king who did not do bad things in the eyes of God, and thus the Pesuk had no reason to call him out. The Dak and Abarbanel both ascribe to this opinion of saying that the first nivuah of Sifonia, and really Sifrit Sifonia as a whole, is talking about while Yoshiyahu HaMelech is still young. However, Mahari Kaira says, no, even while Yoshiyahu was old, this nivuah was still happening. As we know, Yoshiahu's reforms were not enough to stop the kingdom from being destroyed, and thus, it could still be that even while the people are great, Zephaniah is still 
rallying against them for the sins that they have committed in the past, uh, for the destruction that will come upon them, even though right now they are in a state in which they are a religious and good people. Pasuk Aleph. The word of God that was to Tzifaniah, the son of Kushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Chizkiah, in the days of Yoshiahu ben Amon, the king of Yehuda. As I mentioned, we trace back Tzifaniah to Chizkiah HaMelech, was also the ancestor of the current king of Machut Yehuda, Yeshiahu HaMelech. Pasuk Bet, Asof Asef Kol I will completely destroy everything from upon the face of the earth, the word of God. Sefanya doesn't waste any time, gets right into it. This is his nivuah, this is his message, and we'll see this carries through the rest of Pedic Aleph, which really talks about Yom Hashem, the stay of judgment. It says, I will wipe everything off the face of the earth. No nation will be saved. It is possible that this Yom Hashem in Sefer Tzifanyah is referring specifically to the Babylonian troops who at this time, just much in the same way they destroyed Ashur about 26 years before the Choban Habayit, they went in around that time during that 30 or 40 year, sp per year span around the Choban Habayit, destroyed many of the nations, even many of the powerful nations in the area. Pasu Gimel. I will destroy man and animal. I will destroy the bird of the sky and the fish of the sea. And the stumbling box will befall the wicked. And I will cut off man from upon the face of the earth, the word of God. Specifying what exactly we talked about. In Pasuk Bet, when he said, I will destroy everything, the Navi now says, specifically, man, beast, bird, fish, and continues to say, I will cut off man from upon the face of the earth. It could be that it's repeating that, as obviously the main message for man is that you will be destroyed. When Hashem is saying he's going to destroy the birds, the fish, not necessarily that Hashem is going to have some plague before the animals who obviously are animals and thus seemingly should not be included into a punishment. Rather, it is coming to show how far the punishment on people will go. Even the animals will have nowhere to live. The earth will be completely devastated. There will be nothing for them. We translated Hamakashlot et here. The stumbling box will be full of the wicked. Others interpret that both the stumbling box and the wicked will go down and be destroyed as well as the animals and the humans. Pasuk Dalid. Venatiti yedi al Yehuda va al kol yushvei Yerushalayim. Vechrati min hamakom hazeh et shaar habal et shem hakemarim im hakohani. And I will stretch out my hand over Yehuda and on all the inhabitants of Yerushalayim. And I will cut off from this place the remnants of the Baal, the name of the priests, along with the priests. We translated here, She'ar HaBa'al, the remnants of the Baal. That translation works according to those who hold that this is talking about the latter years of Yoshiahu's reign. And thus, She'ar HaBa'al, the, the leftover. Yoshiahu did most of it. I'll take care of the rest, God's saying. 
However, those who want to place this nivua at the beginning of Yoshiyahu's reign interpret the verse as saying, Sha'ad Habal, I will completely destroy any remnant left of the Baal. Not that it's already been partially destroyed, Yoshiel hasn't done anything yet, but I will completely destroy it until there's nothing left. Additionally, we purposely translated here Kimarim and Kohanim as both priests. That follows Radak and others who hold that they were both priests of and the reason why it uses two different names is because perhaps there were two different types of Kohanim, perhaps they split up their tasks in a certain way. Others want to say that this is referring to not only those of Avodah but rather Avodah the Kemarim, those who, the priests of Avodah and also the real Kohanim, the Kohanim in the Beit HaMikdash, they'll also be destroyed, as is the theme of the Pedic that everyone's going down. That interpretation follows the Barbanel and Obim. Pasuke, and those that prostrate themselves on the roof to the host of the skies, and those that prostrate themselves, the ones who swear to God and swear in the name of their king. This pasu continues, God will continue to stretch his hand to apply punishment to those who prostrate themselves to bow down on their roofs to all types of idols in the sky, to the sun, the moon, and the rest of the celestial beings. And the Pasuk continues, fascinatingly enough, and those that bow down and swear in the name of God and in the name of their king. Many different interpretations are given to what exactly this is referring to, those to swear to God. Seemingly, if you're being Nishbad Hashem Hashem, if you're swearing the name of God, you believe in God, and you're following God, Therefore, somebody should even explain when they were used to swear falsely, they would swear in the name of God. When they used to swear for truth, they would swear in the name of idols, giving their idols much more weight than God himself. Others don't go as far and just explain they used to use sometimes God, sometimes the idols. It was all the same in their eyes. That's bad enough. Swearing the name of their king, there's also several opinions as well. What exactly does that mean, their king? Does it mean their human king? Perhaps it's referring to Abedazadah. However, I think very simply we can understand this verse as a critique of B'nai Israel for not being faithful to themselves, for pretending to swear to God when they're asked something, yes, I swear to God, of course I believe in God, but yet at the end of the day, on their roofs, out in public, they're bowing down to the stars. And I think we'll see in the rest of the parak really sort of a theme emerges from this parak of being two-faced about God and religion and really, at the one hand, swearing the name of God, and the other hand, doing terrible things. And really, we'll see exactly as the Pedic plays out, how this thing carries us through the rest of the Pedic. Pasuk Vav. And those who are turned back from God, and those who have not seeked out God, and have not inquired after Him. Continuing in describing who He's going to punish, it describes those who have not went after Hashem, or those who Nisugim, they recede backwards, meaning they used to worship Him. Perhaps indicating those that were in a good state and those that never even tried. And I think if we look at the Lashon here, Lo Bikshuet Hashem and Lo Dirashuhu didn't really seek Him out. This phrase is used elsewhere in Tanakh to imply that they said they were close to God, however, in their hearts they didn't seek Him out, they didn't attempt to understand and form a relationship with God. Continuing that two-faced betrayal. They say they're with God, but in their hearts, 
and in their deep actions, they don't seek God out. Pasuk Zayin. Hasbi p'nei Adunai Elohim, ki karov yom Adunai, ki hechin Adunai zevach, hekdash kiruav. Silence before the Lord, God, for the day of God is close. For Hashem has prepared a slaughtering, He has invited His guests. What's God's response to all this two-facedness, to all these people worshipping Avodah not following the ways of God? Silence. I don't want to hear it anymore. That's it. Your day is coming and there's nothing you can do with all your claiming and pretending to worship after Hashem. The slaughtering was already prepared. He has already invited his guests, comparing the destruction and the downfall of this Yom Hashem as a great feast. Perhaps the guests are those who are coming and eating, so to speak. The Babylonians coming and consuming the rest of the nations and the people being slaughtered, the food, the ones who are about to be offered up to these powerful nations. Pasuk Chet. And it will be on the day of the slaughtering of God. And I will remember and take action on the officers and the sons of the king and on all those who dress foreign apparel. The officers and leaders will be the first ones to go on that day of the feast. They'll be the ones who take the suffering first. Pasuk ends off with all those wear foreign clothes. Many different explanations are given. Uh, perhaps they steal from others. Perhaps they try to assimilate and wear clothes of other nations. The Radaka brings a perush that those who wear weird things, who do weird things, to get the attention of other people and make it seem like they're more religious. Thus, it definitely fits into this theme of the Perik of people who are two-faced about what they're doing. And perhaps they're stealing. Perhaps they're using their power over other people. Perhaps they're trying to pretend they're something they're not. But the criticism of these people is clear. Pasuk Tet. Ufakaditi al kol had doleg al miftan bayomahu. Hamimaleim bet adonahem hamasu minmah. And they will call and bring on punishment on all those who skip over the threshold on that day. The ones that fill the house of their masters with violence and deceit. But Dak and Ibn Ezra explain these verses as connecting. They skip over the threshold, they're running into houses in order to fill them with robbery, with running in to steal things, running in to hurt people, and just happy to do crime. However, Rabbi Eliezer Mibelgansi explains this pasuk in a beautiful way that fits with the rest of the Pedic. Skipping over the threshold, if you look in Shmuel Aleph, Pedic was a practice of the Pilishtim that they used to do because of a certain incident that happened with Dadon. B'nai Israel adopted that practice in order to show their religious fervor for Hashem. Not only did they not step over the threshold like the Pilishtim did, they used to skip over it in honor of Hashem. But yet, their two-facedness is readily apparent when you see that what they do inside the house, filling it up with violence and deceit. So they appear to be religious. They do these actions. They're skipping over the doorpost. But yet, inside, what's actually inside the house? It's full of evil full of theft, and full of violence. Pasuk Yud. And it will be on that day, the word of God, a sound of outcry from the gate of fish, and a wailing from the secondary, and a great crashing from the hills.
what exactly these are talking about. Hazal in the Midrash explained that the fish gate refers to Akko, the port city in which many fish used to be traded and caught. The secondary refers to the second most important city after Yerushalayim, which was Lud. And finally, from the hills, the city of Sipuri, located on the hills in the middle of, of the Israel. And those three cities really carry the width of the entire Yehudah, Machut Yehudah of the time. And they're saying that everywhere there'll be Al-Qai from. Rashi and others explain that the fish gate refers to a gate in which they used to trade fish from in Yerushalayim. That was where the fish traders used to come from on, on the north. And the gate secondary to it, the bird gate, where they used to trade birds in the city of Yerushalayim. Pasuk Yudalif. Helilu Yoshevei HaMachtesh. Ki nidmakul am kenan nechretu kol nitile kasef. Well, all the inhabitants of the Machtesh, for the entire nation of merchants has been silenced, all those who carry silver have been cut off. We translated here Canaan as merchants, like the Radak and Ibn Ezra, and this Pasuk talks about the Machtesh. Machtesh is literally a mortar or a deep vessel used to crush herbs, and probably because the Machtesh refers to a deep valley like area, it was called the Machtesh. And in it, there were a lot of merchants in here. It's saying, even all the merchants, the one who travel, the one who are always there, the one who make money, the one who have silver, who are well-to-do, even they will be cut off. And there will be in that time, and I will search Yerushalayim with candles, and I will bring upon punishment on the people who are settled on their lees, who say in their heart, God won't do good, and God won't do bad. Here, God talks about the people who specifically think they can get away with what they're doing. He says, I'm going to search you out with a candle. Any inconsistencies, anything that you've been hip hypocritical, your two-facedness, I will reveal to the light of the flame of the candle. Hakofim al settled on their lees. Li is the leftover dead yeast, leftover from a fermentation process in either wine or alcohol. And basically what happens if you leave something settled on that lee, if you leave the wine in the barrel settled over that lee, it will become rotten, it will become overly sweet, and essentially you'll ruin the wine. Here too, they're settled on their leaves. They're just hanging out. They're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to move. You're supposed to get that wine out. They're complacent. They're not interested in improving themselves. They're interested in the way things are. They don't care to look for things better, to improve themselves, to make themselves perhaps strive after knowing Hashem. And what happens? They say to themselves, God's not interested. He's not going to do bad. He's not going to do bad. good. He has nothing to do with this world. He has no direct relationship with me, and I have nothing to worry about. What happens in my life has nothing to do with God. So on that day, God is going to bring punishment on those people. Pasuk Yud Gimel. And their wealth will be to booty, and their houses, desolation. And they will build houses, and they won't dwell in them. And they will plant vineyards, and they will not drink their wine. And a direct response to those people who think, we can do whatever we want, God isn't involved in our lives, 
I'm going to be involved in your lives now, God said. Even what you think is all up to you. I built my own house. What does God have to do with it? It's my kochiva otsim It's my own actions. Even on things that you think you have complete control over, that God will take away from you. Your vineyards that you planted with your own hands, you won't see the fruit of your labor. Because it's not you. God has a direct impact on all of our lives and has hashkecha on everyone. Pasuk Yedalit. Karov yom Adunai hagadol, karov mahen meod, kol yom Adunai mar tsoreach sham gibor. The great day of God is near. It is near and it is coming very quickly. The sound of the day of God is a great man crying bitterly there. Even the greatest man will be crying out bitterly. Pasuk tetvav, yom evrah yomahu, yom tsarao mitsuka. Yom 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 Anan That day is a day of anger, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick fog. The Navi here repeats and carries the same message to strengthen his point. A day of shofar and blows against the fortified cities and against the tall towers. The shofar will be used to blow the sound of war, to blow the march of war coming against these fortified cities. Pinot here was translated towers because towers are usually built in the corners of the wall as defensive structures. Pasuk Yudzayin and I will bring distress upon men, and they will walk like blind people, for to God they have sinned. And their blood shall be spilled like dirt, and their flesh like dung. The Pasuk, and the next two Pasukim, final Pasukim of the Pedic, sums up the final destruction, the power of that day that's going to happen. And... There's going to be distress for all men, and they're going to be blind. They're not going to know what's going on. They're not going to know what hits them. They're not going to know how to fix it. And they're going to be blind to the situation that they're in. And they will, blood and flesh will be spilled openly. Their silver as well as their gold will not be able to save them on the day of God's wrath. And with his fire of jealousy, he will consume the whole land. For destruction, indeed a terrible one, he will make of all the inhabitants of the land. Zephaniah's first livoir finishes off with this final terrible destruction that will happen to everyone on the day of God's wrath. No one, so it seems, is saved.